This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. So far, we've covered the idea of buying a house, why it's important to buy a house, getting pre-approved, why that's important. So if you've listened to those episodes, you're a home buyer, you know, you want to go out and start looking at homes, writing offers, but you're hearing horror stories, if you will, about writing offers in this market, not making any progress because of how aggressive the market is. In today's episode, we want to take a deep dive into the idea of writing an offer for success, you know, how to set yourself up for success as a home buyer in this environment, things that you can control. Too many home buyers out there at the moment are worried about factors they can't control. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the things that you can control as a home buyer when making an offer, not only to set yourself up for success, but to help you become the educated home buyer. Josh, I think we should start today's episode and just talk a little bit about the current market, right? What's going on right now? Why? Is it so important in this environment that you do come with your best foot forward to start, you know, because in the past, people have been able to make offers with the idea that they're going to get a counter offer and then they're going to be able to bring their best foot forward at that time. But, you know, you and I both know in the market that we're in right now, a lot of people aren't sending counter offers. So it's important, you know, to start with that in mind and success. So Josh, maybe just take us down the path at the moment of where we are and, and set us up for, uh, for, you know, how to best approach this uh, scenario. Absolutely. We've, we've talked about the supply demand imbalance, and that is the issue here. If you go back to 2008, um, when, when I was flipping houses and most of the homes were bank owned, we were the only offer. So there was no, there was no multiple counters. There was no standing out. You're the only offer. The seller is going fantastic. We got an offer and they're going to consider every element of it in the current market, a desirable home. Jeb, if you have a great listing that's in tip top shape in the perfect location in the perfect school district, you're gonna have 30 plus offers. If you have an average mediocre listing, it's probably gonna be you know seven to 10 offers minimum. So you have to be able to stand out from the other offers. We talked in a previous episode, what you do as a listing agent when those offers are coming in to detail and outline those. So you and the sellers can actually look at what the differences are. So what we're gonna go through today are all of the things you do that make your offer look as positive as possible to the seller. And, and this is really important that we, we start by saying this, 
you can do everything we're going to talk about today and in a multiple offer situation still not get the home. So none of these will guarantee you're going to get the home. It's increasing your odds. It's sort of like the best hitter in baseball. I mean, Tony Gwynn, you know, hit 380 for, for his career, and he was a great baseball hitter. 62% of the time he got out. Um, we're kind of in that same market for, for a, a buyer. How do we get you to having a 30, 40% chance with your offer instead of a 2 to 5% chance with the offer? And the other thing I like to say is, despite the fact that doing all these things doesn't guarantee success, not doing these things almost certainly guarantees failure. Jeb, you and I get a lot of inquiries on the YouTube Live every week, direct emails. Hey, we've written 40 offers. We can't even get a counter offer back. We're just considering throwing in the towel. And I say, well, can you send me over the pre-approval letter your lender gave you? And it's garbage. It's a terrible document, hard to read, looks unprofessional, looks like it was created in 1972. And then you you say, well, um, how was the offer presented? How was it followed up on? So all of the things that we're going to go through here to, to avoid that, it is a tough market uh, to get an offer accepted. No two ways about that. But you've already decided you want to buy a home. So if we're going to do it, if you're going to go, you know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't step into the boxing ring without doing some training and having your cardio in, in line and, and ready to throw and take some punches. So that's what we're looking at. We're going to go through all of those details today. No, I think it's important. I mean, you said a lot of really, I think, key things that people should take away in, in this environment. And it's not to discourage you as a home buyer. It's more just to, hey, listen, this is the lay of the land. And if you want to get out there and, and say farm this land, you need to know what you're working with. And in this case, it's, it's, you know, competition and what have you. So our goal here is to help you navigate um, that terrain, so to speak. And, and again, put you in the best possible position. Now you as a potential home buyer might not be able to do all of these things, right? You, maybe you can only do part of them because of your situation, but just knowing what other people are potentially doing, I think is key in this environment. I mean, part of, you know, the expertise that you get today is someone like myself, a listing agent that sees a lot of offers. I mean, in the last two properties I've listed, a, a combined 44, 43 offers on those two properties. So I see what buyers are doing as a whole in this environment. And so what we're doing is we're taking the best of that today and passing it along to you again to help you um, you know, become a better home buyer in this market. So Josh, let's talk about before writing an offer. Now, everybody wants to know, you know, the idea of writing an offer, but before you write the offer, there are things that you need to do, right? I mean, you can't just go in and, and write an offer and, and be, you know, in the best possible position. There's some things you should do prior to writing that offer to set yourself up for success. The first thing we've talked about in another episode, but I think it's important here to Talk about it just in a little bit more detail and kind of not in detail in itself, but what it means in this market. So pre-approval, right? Talking to a lender, going through that process, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, you, for example, having that conversation with you and getting the pre-approval, but maybe taking it a step further. All of this, it's funny in, in looking at our notes when we were prepping for this, it reminds me, it, it's kind of like a relay race in here. Um, oftentimes the borrower starts with the realtor and then the realtor says, cool, I have an idea of what you would like. I need to hand the baton to the lender to figure out what you qualify for. 
and we run a lap around the track and that's this first part and then hand the baton back and it's pretty much on you um, we're helping a little bit during the offer process in terms of pre-approval package and following up with the agents, but we're really front-loaded and then back-loaded after you get that offer accepted. So what is, what is the front-loaded part? What is laying the foundation? Pre-approval, we have a whole episode on that if you want to talk about, uh, if you want to hear about what that actually means, but it's, it's getting a full file in and documented. So two things come from that. You're going to get all your questions answered. You're going to have your thoughts confirmed or maybe some of your misconceptions corrected so that you know exactly what you're looking at. What are options? And in that pre-approval process, there's three really important things I want you to walk away from. What do you qualify for? So what's my max purchasing power? If I buy at that price, what is my monthly payment? Can I handle that? So I can maybe approve you for more than what you feel like you're comfortable with. And then the last piece is how much money do I have to have? Are all those, those things in line? And for me, that pre-approval process, I'm probably gonna go through and go, here's a potential landmine, here's a potential landmine, here's a potential landmine. That's our job is to be the minesweeper and clear that minefield. I tell people, you wrote your story, but that doesn't mean we can send it directly to the professor. We need an editor to go through that. And that's my job is to make that story read as clearly and cleanly as possible. And we gloss over the, the parts that are not so great. And we maximize the parts about you and your qualifications that are awesome. So one of the things, Jeb, that we don't normally do in a regular market, um, a more normal market is I don't very often do a to be determined approval meaning we submit the file to underwriting um, for income, asset, and credit review without a property. In the current market, realtors are finding that beneficial. A seller is happy to see that, hey, an underwriter has reviewed this. I know I've done this for 26 years. Um, Lori here is my right hand. She's been an underwriter for 20 plus years. Our job is to pick that file apart and make sure the underwriter can't find anything that we didn't. But in this market, it's sometimes good to just go ahead and, and submit it for a, a full underwrite so that when we issue your pre-approval letter, it's not a pre-approval letter. It's a notice of loan commitment um, subject to finding a property, getting an appraisal, and getting a clear title report. So that's a thing we can do on there. The next thing, Jeb, you guys always ask, how quickly can we remove the loan contingency? How quickly can we remove the appraisal contingency? Loan's pretty easy. If you, you go back last year, even you know four months ago, there was a ton of refinance volume. 60, 70% of that is gone. So lenders underwriting queues are, are, are not nearly what they were. So within two to three days, we should have a loan approval back. Now it's a contingent loan approval um, with a conditional loan approval where we have some things that we're gonna have to go through, but I can go through with the buyer and say, hey, we need to prove that your $6,000 deposit is gonna come out of, or came out of your bank account, simple things like that. So there's possible deal killers and there's just boilerplate conditions. So we wanna go through, get that, make sure that there's just boilerplate conditions and you and the realtor would be okay releasing your loan contingency in seven days. That's something that can give the seller certainty that they're not waiting around two weeks, 17 days, 21 days to find out you have loan approval. We can clear that in seven to 10 days. Um, the appraisal can be a little hairier. 
if you're here in Orange and LA County, we got a lot of appraisers. If I pay a rush fee, I can generally have a report back in seven days. If you're out in rural uh, California or I say worse yet, it might be a much nicer place to live, but rural North Carolina, there might be one appraiser uh, for 100 miles around and he's going 100 miles to each appointment and it could be a month. I mean, literally we're getting reports in certain parts of the country that's a month to get an appraisal back. So those are the things that you, you want to know from there. And Jeb, you know, one of the things that, that you do in this process is feeling out the listing agent and, and reading them to find out what's important to their seller, right? No, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing I want to talk about. So you, you've, you've talked to your lender, you've, you've determined how quickly a lender can essentially close or, or get an approval on a file, so to speak. And it's sometimes close too, right? I mean, you know, I think it's important, you know, in, in historically speaking, and I, I'm saying historically, a couple of years ago, right? We're not going back 30, 40 years in this, but traditionally, I guess is probably the more, the better word. Escrows are about 30 days for most escrows. So in this market, lenders like Josh can close the deal sometimes in 15 days, 20 days, whatever that number is. Not only do we want to know the loan contingency timeframes, but I want to know how quickly Josh can close that loan because that is going to help us when we start talking about writing that offer here in just a minute. But Josh, led on the topic or the idea of talking to the agent on the other side. So this is going to happen like, you know, part of this happens prior to ever looking at property, right? The pre-approval and, and having those conversations with the lender about timeframes and that sort of thing. And that can happen while you're looking at homes as well. But once you start looking at homes and you've identified a property, you, you haven't yet written an offer, but part of my job to help you make a better offer or write a better offer is to find out from the, the listing agent, hey, is there anything specific the seller wants to see in an offer? And it sounds crazy, right? Because I'm asking the seller, what is your, you know, or the, the listing agent, what does your seller want to see? And well, they want to see the best price. Of course, they want to see the best price, but they might need 60 day escrow because they're going out, you know, they're having a home built and they just don't want to close quickly. Or maybe they need a quick escrow because they have a home already under contract and they need to close it quickly in order to, you know, not be making two payments. Or in some cases, you know, they need a rent back or whatever it is. It's just, it's good to know what the seller has in mind with regards to, you know, a buyer making an offer because it will help us in making a better offer. And so we, we've got these things in mind that we've done before. Now, the fun part, right? Actually going out, looking at property. Once you've found a property, you've identified one and you're starting to make an offer, right? I've called the agent. I found out what it is um, that they're looking for. You already have an idea in mind of how quickly, you know, contingencies can be removed and, and that to get a comfort level. But part of my job is, as a list, as a buyer's agent, if you will, in this market is to have that conversation with your lender as well and to confirm Okay, how quickly can you get this closed? Oh, you can do 21 days? Great. How quickly are you, you know, do you feel that we can release the loan contingency? Oh, you think we can get it done? Oh, they don't even need a loan contingency because they're so well qualified. Fantastic. We can waive that. Oh, they type the property address into to your automated underwriting. They don't need an appraisal because they got an appraisal waiver. So we can waive the appraisal too. So these are all things that me... And the 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 lender are are working together. You know, I, I recently had someone comment on a video saying, you know, or I think it was on a live saying that, hey, listen, you know, I, I have a realtor, I have a lender, 
they're who I want to work with, but the two of them don't get along. How do I navigate this? In this environment, your realtor and your lender need to work together. They're a team. You're all a team. As a buyer, your team are those people that surround you, I mean, to get you to the finish line. So it's important that me as a as an agent and and your lender, Josh, we're all working together to get to that finish line. So that's what is going to take us into actually writing that offer. And so, you know, we talked about escrow periods, right? Shortening that escrow period. We said traditionally it's about 30 days. There's no set time frame. None of this is set in stone. Let's let's be clear here, right? There are time frames that are put into contracts, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, but all of this stuff can be negotiated. So just because you know you put 30 days in there or 21 days for that matter, doesn't mean the seller can't come back and ask for something else, which is again, a negotiating um, term in the contract. But as a buyer, you, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of that information that we've been given by the, by the listing agent in order to help us write this offer. So let's just say the 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 seller told the listing agent we we want a shorter close so we're going to try to make our escrow as short as possible from our point you know to help that offer stand out so that's something that we can typically control in the contract is how you know long our escrow period is so shortening that might help you stand out taking it a little bit longer might help you standing out depending on that conversation that we've had prior to next thing is deposit escrow deposit what's traditional here in Southern California at the moment where I am is 3% of the purchase price. So if you buy a million dollar home, for example, that's a $30,000 escrow deposit that goes into, you know, if you're in an attorney state, it goes into um, maybe title, it goes into the attorney. I'm not sure exactly where that money goes. Here in California, it goes to an escrow company, right? A third party that essentially facilitates both sides. They don't work for the seller or the buyer. They're kind of a middleman. And so that money goes there and it's refundable. Typically speaking, deposits are refundable until you release contingencies, which we're not going to take a deep dive into that today. But that money basically just shows good faith. It shows that you're a serious buyer. You've put money up to essentially bind that contract. Contract's not binding until that money is in escrow. So if your market typically does 3% deposits, you don't want to be the buyer that comes in with a thousand bucks, you know, when it's 30,000 is typical. Now, in some markets, right, I'm in the process of, making some offers out of state for investment property, they they told me there that it was significantly less money in that case, right? I think it was a $225,000 home that what was uh, typical was five grand in that market. So just do what is typical of your market. Now, I've heard of cases in order to help your market, you know, your offer stand out where you make that, that deposit non-refundable. So if your offer gets accepted, your deposit at that point is a non-refundable deposit. Now that can help your offer stand out, especially here in California. In California, if all of the other terms are similar or close to what everybody else is writing, if you have the lowest offer by a long shot, but you make your deposit, you know, non-refundable, probably not going to make a big difference. But if all the other terms of your contract are pretty similar to what people are offering, and you make your deposit non-refundable that could be a point where your offer does stand out. Now, I'm not recommending you do that. I'm just saying it is something that I've heard works, stands out if it's a property that you as a buyer know you're going to move forward with, regardless of what comes up in inspections, regardless of what happens. This is the property 
then maybe that's something you can do as a buyer to help your offer stand out. Now, next things, you know, contingency periods, right? Here in the state of California, the contract is written 17 days. You have 17 days to do inspections. That includes the appraisal, get your loan approval, you know, review HOA documents, you know, the prelim, seller disclosures, all of that, right? In order to be competitive in this environment, some of those you might waive, right? The appraisal might be something you waive. You might waive the loan contingency. If you're not in a position to waive them, maybe you shorten them. Instead of having 17 days, you take that home inspection down to seven days or five days, three days in some cases. So these are conversations you're having, again, prior to making that offer to find out, hey, Jeb, as my agent, can we get a home inspection that quickly? And typically the answer is yes. I mean, we, you know, experience, we have people in the business that we know we can count on to do things quickly and we need it in this market. So shortening those timeframes can help your offer stand out. Now, the last two things here, um, eliminate fees that the seller typically pays. So here in California, a lot of buyers ask for home warranty fees. They ask for the seller to pay termite, you know, section one clearance. They ask for, you know, the seller to pay their portion of the escrow deposit. You pay your portion. As a buyer, if you want to stand out, maybe you eliminate the home warranty. Maybe your agent picks up that fee for the home warranty. That's something I'm doing a lot of in this market is paying for that home warranty fee so that the buyer doesn't have to pay for it. The seller doesn't have to pay for it. And it sounds crazy because it's only five, six, seven hundred bucks that the seller doesn't have to pay. But if all things are equal, Maybe that helps us stand out, just shows, hey, listen, we're willing to work with you. Uh, the other thing, rent backs. Now, this is something that has never been typically, it, it's it's never been as common as it is at the moment. Um, more sellers need rent backs for, for multiple reasons than they've ever need, you know, needed. Maybe they're moving out of state. Maybe they haven't found a replacement property. They need to find something. Maybe they're going to rent. You know, whatever the situation is, we see a lot of sellers in this environment that want a rent back. And so you can, as a buyer, per, you know, if you're getting a loan, you can give them up to 60 days, you know, with you buying it as a primary home with no interference with your loan. So a lot of buyers in this market I see are giving that rent back for free to, to the seller. And you, you know, many buyers out there thinking that's crazy. Why would I allow them to stay in the property for free? You know, because it could be, you know, the difference between you getting the offer accepted and not. I, I'm seeing a lot of buyers doing it. So it's not uncommon at all. It's not like you'd be the only one in many cases, especially if they did need a rent back. And maybe even if they don't need a rent back, it's something that you're offering up front, you know, just to give them some more time. Maybe they don't use it. Maybe it's something that's negotiated later where it's, you know, the time is lessened or what have you. But those are some things, again, that, that you know, are the big things that you can control. That's what we started this with is what are the controllables in here? You can't control what the seller is going to pick. You can't control what, you know, the other buyer is going to offer, what they're going to do in the contract. But you as a buyer can control how you're going to present your offer. Josh mentioned it at the beginning, telling the story, right? How is your story? How are you going to tell your story to to the seller? Um, and we'll talk about buyer letters here, kind of at at the end of this, and and the direction that they're going. But those are the things that you can control. The next thing you can control is working with professionals. Now, Josh, this is always a self serving 
piece of the puzzle, but a very important piece. Let's talk about the idea in this market of working with a professional versus, you know, the guy that just got their license. Absolutely. There's, there's two pieces to it. Um, a lot of times people want to go to volume and say, oh, this person did X amount of business, they must be good. Or this person only did this much, much business, they must not be good. Uh, I work with a couple of agents that are essentially semi-retired, but they've done this for 40 years. They do five, six, seven transactions a year. They go to the office meetings every week. They're still connected and they're still in the space. So be careful. I'm almost going to make it sound like it's really hard to tell because volume isn't the only indicator. It's an indicator. Are they in the market? Are they doing business? If you're talking to someone or working with someone who did no business in the last 12 months, it's going to be really hard for them to be up and on the market and have the relationships that they need. On the loan side, I talked to someone this week that they had been pre-approved. They had a bunch of questions. They had got their offer accepted. We look at it and all of the issues they were telling me they had, the loan officer they worked with did 10 million of loans last year, which $10 million sounds like a lot. And our market here in Southern California, when the average loan amount is probably $400,000, it's 25 loans. They did three purchase loans in the entirety of all last year. So 24 or 21, 22 uh, per refinances and three purchases. And in looking at the figures they had given him, the way they had explained everything to him, you could tell they were a refinance loan officer. They weren't in this space. So it's, it's important that you're working with people that, that have done a volume of business to be active. It's sort of like the person that doesn't go to the gym is not going to be as fit as the person that does every day. Um, you then from there, a lot of it is personality. Like you have to work closely with these people in a, in a more normal market, Jeb, you might talk to someone, refer them over to me. We get them pre-approved. You put them in escrow this weekend. And then 30 days later, we've moved on. Everyone got what they wanted. I closed a loan. You closed a transaction. We have a happy client in a home that gave us both five-star reviews. Perfect, right? Well, in the current market, we have clients we've been working with for six or seven months, right? So it's a long time frame. Make sure you like those people. Some of the things that I hear that are just crazy to me is they don't explain things to me. I ask questions and they'll just give me a, a brief response. And that's for realtors and lenders. And I go, I, I don't get it. The only way that I get to that five-star review at the end is that you feel confident and heard all the way through the process. So if at any point your concerns are not being taken seriously by your professional or they're just not capable of answering the questions that you have, some of these questions are complex and difficult. And if you're not in the business with a long history of experience, you may never have seen it and not even know where to get uh, the right answer. A, a simple example, I have an email in my inbox here, uh, a buyer from, from late last year, they get a big supplemental tax bill. They don't understand what that is. So we'll go back and, and remember the conversation that we had uh, up front there, but it's just that's one example of 50 different things that can come up and be difficult. So make sure you're working with someone that's, that's in the space and active, that you mesh with, that hears you and is willing and able to answer all of your questions and preferably has a system for getting you to into a home happily where you want to give them a five-star review for us everything that we do when we are building out our systems we say does this make it better for the client it's not does it make it better for us it's how do, is this better for the client so that they get to the end and they're happy and smiling 
and did it as easily as possible. So in terms of working with professionals, so much, Jeb, is is both sides. Like I, we do different things, but it, it has to be handled in the same way. You're working primarily with other realtors and escrow and property inspectors and lenders, and I'm working with escrow, title, underwriters, those type of people. And we have to be able to manage those relationships in addition to the borrower. So those are the big things that that I talk about when saying you need to work with a professional. It's not just someone you like. It's someone that you like, that you're confident in, is doing business in this market and is going to get you to the finish line happily. Now, I'm going to go a different approach on this. Everything you said was was great. Now, when I say professional, I mean all of the things that Josh said. Uh, but let's just take a different look at this, right? Because this is what I'm seeing in this market. And these are things that I think is important as a as a home buyer to know, you should be using an agent that knows the market that you're in. Uh, it sounds crazy, but I recently got a call for you know property I had here in in Huntington Beach, and the agent was in San Diego, and they wanted to basically first off they weren't going to drive up here. They wanted me to show the buyer the the, the home, um, and then they were essentially going to write the offer. But you need an agent that's local to the area for a couple of reasons. One to know the comps, to know, because you can't always just look at comps on paper and get an idea of a value of a home because of different factors that play into neighborhoods, that play into, you know, just different location, um, you know, preferences, if you will, when when pricing homes and that sort of thing. So finding an agent that's that's local is, is key. First off, in, in addition to that, that agent, is likely, you know, if they're a professional, they do business, they probably have relationships around them of other agents in that market. And that sounds crazy. But let me tell you, real estate is as much about relationships as it is about writing the best offer. In many cases, having that relationship can help you put your best foot forward, can help you get an offer accepted in this market. Because if that agent's done business with you before, knows that you're professional, knows how you do things, you know, maybe you've had multiple, um, you know, escrows together, that's important because at the end of the day, the listing agent's goal is not only to get his client the best price, but to get to the finish line. It doesn't matter if you get the best price, if you never get to where you're going or you don't meet deadlines and things fall apart at the end. So it's important to have an agent that knows the market, that has relationships in and around that area. And not, you know, if you're agents in Orange County, Orange County as a whole is, you know, the market for the most part, that's not a big deal. What I'm talking about is the agents that are, you know, in a, you know, in San Bernardino and representing a client in Los, you know, in Los Angeles, it, it's a different world. So just make sure you have a pro with the experience that knows the market boots on the ground right now. You know, if your mom was a real estate agent back in the seventies, you know, when she does a transaction once a year, you know, for family or whatever, she's probably not going to be the best fit in this environment unless she's been in it day in and day out because things change, you know, and, and in this market, they change weekly to some extent. So, you know, the things that were practiced back then might be a little bit different than they are now. So having, you know, professionals help you is key. Um, and if you're listening to this, don't have a professional, you know, an expert lender, an expert real estate agent. There's a link in the description below. Connect you with somebody that can take great care of you, people that Josh and I know personally. So use that um, as a benefit. Um, and then next thing, Josh, is follow up. It sounds crazy. 
Do you know how many offers I receive from agents when I never knew the offer was coming from one? And secondly, they submit an offer and then I never hear from them again. I never hear from their lender at all. And that's okay in many cases because they weren't the best offer to start with. So it's, you know, I'm okay not getting a bunch of calls and a bunch of emails and a bunch of follow-up from people that had no chance to begin with. But many times I receive strong offers from people and I don't need somebody to, you know, pat me on the back as the listing agent and and pet me up. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, in fact, I'm not even looking for you to necessarily follow up, but I just think it shows me as an agent, as a listing agent, that you're a professional. If you're doing all of these things, to me, it's like, okay, this agent's hungry. They're trying to do what's best for their client. They're following up. They're checking all the boxes. This is probably somebody that I want to work with, you know, versus the guy that, you know, calls me or doesn't call me at all. Or when I try to call them to discuss the offer or their, their lender, nobody picks up the phone. I don't hear back. There's no response. That's an indication as to the direction that that escrow is probably going to go and somebody that I don't want to work with. So all of these things combined can, you know, help you, you know, put your best foot forward. Now, earlier, Josh, we mentioned buyer letters. Buyer letters are kind of one of those things at the moment that are a gray area for for for, for some states, um, you know, entirely like Oregon, I think, has outlawed them. Um, but buyers always ask about buyer letters. So I did want to just end today and talk about buyer letters. You know, traditionally speaking, a buyer letter or a love letter or whatever it is, is a letter from the buyer to the homeowner, to the seller, just talking about themselves. Um, you know, we're a family of five. We have three boys. We grew up in the neighborhood. My mom lives down the street. We really love your house. We walk our dog by it every day. You know, we would love to be here you know, we include a picture, whatever it is, we just outline everything about us. Well, what's happened is, you know, I, I don't know what organization it is as a whole, but somebody, you know, it has come out and basically said that it allows the, um, the seller to pick uh, a, a family based on, you know, uh, factors, characteristics, characteristics that are outside of things that actually matter. So they could pick them because of their race or because they're a family or because of whatever reason in that in that letter. So some states aren't allowing them. Here in the state of California, there's a box now on the listing agreement that we as, as agents ask the seller, hey, listen, if a buyer submits a buyer letter, do you want us to give it to you? And if the answer is yes, then we can check that box in the listing agreement and allow it. And then we can, any offer that comes in, we can present those. Otherwise, if they check no, then we have to tell agents on the other side, we, we're not doing buyer letters, therefore they're not a part of the transaction. Now, in the past, these things can help your offer stand out. Um, Josh, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the idea of a buyer letter in this market? I mean, you know, I think you do them if they're allowed, because I do think in many times there are families that want, again, gray area that want to sell to other families or want to 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 sell their house that they grew up in and raised five kids in they want it to go to a family like that and you know the Let's, idea is that okay look, i guess to each his own what, what look are your at thoughts it this way so uh, my my perspective is informed mainly as a seller you know during the the downturn we flipped a ton of houses we had multiple offer situations we had people writing offers and if you have four offers on a home and one family puts in a letter that does exactly what you said. Uh, and even if it's a single person, hey, I grew up in this neighborhood. 
I went to this school, my parents lived down the street. It doesn't have to be a family, whatever the reason, it's nice getting that. What I would say is I had a love-hate relationship with them. Let's say you have a property, like in the current market, there's 10 offers mm -hmm. and you get four of those mm -hmm. letters. No one writes a bad letter. No one says, hey, I'm a turd. I just got out of jail. I'm going to party a bunch <laughs> and I want to move in and destroy this house. We're going to Airbnb this thing. We're going to Airbnb this thing wall to wall and make as much money as possible. I don't care about your neighbors. No one writes that letter. So you're getting four letters with awesome reasons why these cool people should get your house. And it makes it even more difficult. So that's in the current market. That's the, the con against it. But the whole purpose of this episode is you and I going through what are all of the little things you can do to differentiate yourself. What I can say is there was never a time when I said, I'm not giving those people the house because they wrote me this letter. Because again, everyone puts their best foot forward. They have the cute picture when they were, uh, the, the engagement picture for a young couple, first day of school for the kids going to the school down the street. There's always cool stuff in there. So you're never going, oh, forget those people. I'm not giving yeah. them the house because they wrote me this letter. So it, to me, it was never a bad thing. It can make my job even more difficult. But if it's if we're talking about things that can tip the scales in your favor, it is yet one more thing. And, and kind of Jeb, it leads me back to when you were when you were talking about all the things, like starting with reaching out to the listing agent before writing an offer and finding out what's important to the seller. And when we were flipping homes, I brought bought probably 10 homes directly from sellers. And the most important thing we could do. You know, most of those were competitive bidding situations where another investor also wanted to buy that property. The most important conversation I could have is, hey, Jeb, so you're thinking about selling. Why? Why are you guys selling? Oh, you have to get to Nebraska to take care of your, your parents. Cool. How quick do you have to do that? What's important about this transaction to you? All of the things that you talked about, um, you know, in terms of for us writing an offer as an investor, we write those as net offers. So you're saying, hey, pay some things that the seller would typically pay. We always pay things that the seller typically pays. It, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter. Uh, you know, a fully informed seller should be able, and their agent should be able to go through and determine what the net is. So a higher offer without you paying those things will still net more money than a lower offer with you paying them. But simplicity wins. So for us, if I could say, I'm offering you $300,000 for your house. Everything goes to my side of, of the, the Ledger, uh, closing yeah. statement. Then you know you're going to walk with $300,000. You don't have to wonder, hey, I haven't sold a home in 20 years. What does that mean when I sell you the house for $300,000? What do I walk away with? So you're just giving certainty and you're asking up front. That rent back could be important. It could be meaningless. I mean, there's someone, hey, they're, they have a home over in Rossmore and they're going to move over there and live out the remaining years. They don't care of, about a rent back and, and an agent would never do that offer a rent back when it's not valuable but those all of those things your real estate professional having those conversations up front um, and finding out what are the seller's hot buttons what do they want and this is sort of like the a la carte menu that we talked about today not all of these are appropriate tools for you to use but figure out the ones that are going to push the seller's buttons and do everything you can to tip the scales in your favor no, good stuff. I mean, I think that is a really good, um, you know, outline, if you will, if you're a buyer in this market. I mean, it's probably going to be competitive for some time. Use this stuff to help make better offers. And if you're a buyer out there wanting more information about, you know, 
just you know everyday questions that buyers have each week we actually post a live that we do on youtube we do it on wednesday nights 5 p.m pacific standard time so if you're somebody that has these questions and want them answered live you can go into to uh my youtube jeb smith and go on that live each week and answer the uh, and ask those questions it won't answer them but if not just come here. Other people are going to uh, ask those questions. We're going to answer them and we're going to put that podcast on uh, the same stream here so you guys can download it. It'll be up on uh, Friday of this week, depending on when you're listening to this. But we appreciate you uh, you listening. We appreciate all the support, uh, all the the grateful. You know, we're grateful for all the, the positive comments. And if there's anything that you guys want us to cover, reach out and let us know. There's an email in the description below. But for now, we appreciate you. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.